0: Talk Radio.
1: Good evening, everyone. This is Dr. Jess Armine. How are you doing all well tonight? Welcome to our new show uh, on the Overcoming Chronic Illness blog. Uh, this one is going to be about leaky gut syndrome and gut repair, and uh, we're bringing this to you from the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine, which is the new name for our practice, uh, Sean and I, actually. Uh, we're as you know, we do many different things, but inclusive of treating people with uh, neurotransmitter balancing and genetics, uh, You know, we also are including mitochondrial dysfunction, neuroendoimmunology, cell wall integrity, nutrigenomics, and nutritional counseling. I would like to introduce tonight April, April DeRisi, who is my webmaster. She's running the uh, chat room. So April, say Hi.
2: Hi, everyone. I hope you're having a good night so far. Um, Again, my name is April Dracy. I'm the one that's been working on the website and doing all the updates and stuff. So um, tonight you guys can actually go to the website and um, you can actually view the PDF that goes along with this uh, show tonight. So definitely we are glad that you're here and hopefully you learned something.
1: Thank you. Thank you. So if you don't have the PDF file to follow along with the lecture... Uh, go to drjessarmind.com, uh Go to radio shows. Okay, and on that page you'll be able to click and get the PDF that I created, uh, so we could um, all follow along and understand this very important syndrome. <clears throat> Remember, the purpose of the Overcome, overcoming chronic illness uh, blog is to give information on how to um, how to. Look at chronic illnesses and how to treat them, and it all has to do with inflammation. It all has to do with you know getting at to the getting at the root cause of the problem, but mostly healing the body. Uh, you can have Lyme or any kind of infection and and use multiple antibiotics to kill the bugs, but if you don't repair what the bugs did to the body, that person will remain sick. And I think that that's the area that has been most left off and most not attended to by my allopathic colleagues. So I bet anybody who's seen an alternative medicine, naturopath, whatever, they're always talking about the gut first, okay? Okay. Fix the gut, fix the gut, fix the gut. Well, I'm about to tell you why, okay? And hopefully uh, most of you have the PDF file, Okay, so if you look at that, on the bottom right-hand corner is a number, so you know what page I'm on. Okay, number one, you see the beginning of the lecture. Page two is a cute little puppy, and he's one of my favorite guys. I think he's a police dog in training myself. Okay, but we all start our lives looking like him. Okay, all fresh, all ready. Okay, nothing bothering us, and uh, just all kinds of happy, and this guy couldn't get any cuter. And let's go to page three, is a normal gut. This is what happens when we're born, hopefully, okay, that we have a normal gut. And it's important that you understand the structure of the human gastrointestinal tract. Uh, this is a really great picture. What it lacks is um, an indication of the mucus layer that goes over that br- what looks like a brush border here, okay? So the very first layer of protection that you have in your body is this mucus layer. It's called the extrinsic barrier, and the purpose of the mucus layer is, in fact, to trap toxins, trap bacteria, trap yeasts, trap toxins, so forth and so on, okay? And those funny y looking things are what's called secretory IgA, immunoglobulin A, and you can think of them as popping into the mucus layer and holding on to the toxins until it's time to move them out. Now, I'm going to be speaking a little euphemistically, a little bit overviewish type stuff. Uh, there are innumerable references that, and this one comes from Nature Reviews uh, Immunology, that uh, will give you much, much deeper understanding. But I'm going to kind of give you an overview,
0: okay, of how things
1: actually work, okay. Uh, the next layer of protection we have is that brush border that you see are the cells called the enterocytes, and they have between the cells tight junctions. Okay, think of tight junctions as like vibin A and D, and they kind of hold each other together like kids at a college game, you know, kind of interlocking their arms. And they prevent any of the bacteria dietary peptides. I'll call them the bad boys, the things that can hurt you. Prevent them from getting into the bloodstream, getting into the basement membrane there called the lamina propria, okay? And the purpose of these cells and the little brush borders up there is to absorb nutrients once they've been broken down to their particular constituent parts. Underneath the intrinsic barrier, you're seeing these funny-looking things that are called pyre's patches. If you were to actually look at a gut, if you actually look at a GI tract, you would see these little patches on them, and you'd say, oh my God, the person's got cancer or something. No, 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 no. These are actually part of the immune system. These pyre patches are how we protect ourselves from the external environment. As a matter of fact, if you look at these cells that look like little stars... Okay, where they're kind of one on the one on the top is that's called the dendritic cell, and his job is to go out and kind of take a little sample of what's going on inside the gut, okay, to see if there's any inimicable types and bring that information to the Peyer's patches, and I'm gonna tell you in a little while how the pyrus patches actually work, okay, and I see that we're building up. So the new people who came in, if you go, if you have not gotten the PDF that is the uh, notes for the lecture tonight. You can go to drjessarmind.com, click Radio Shows, and that's where the PDF will be. Just click it, it'll pop up, and uh, it's all nice and colorful and stuff. Now, we we'll are all talk about leaky gut syndrome, okay? And on page four, I found a an interesting um, illustration that kind of gives us an idea of how leaky gut occurs, Okay. Remember, you start off like the puppy, okay? Nice, everything's pristine, but things happen that cause cause our gut to become leaky, and then I'm going to tell you what the leakiness does. So on this slide, which I think is really, really good, it tells you that alcohol, food additives, environmental toxins, pesticides in foods, food allergens, medications and drugs, can lead to dysbiosis, and it leads to dysbiosis by damaging the gut wall. Then you can get bacterial overgrowth, fungal overgrowth, parasites, and believe me, my friends, parasites are are the most underdiagnosed gastrointestinal infestation in the United States. We catch more parasites than you'd like to imagine, and if you... um, Start perusing the sites for uh, autistic children. When they start treating the parasites, all of a sudden, the autism starts going away. And uh, believe me when I tell you, uh, that's uh, pretty pretty amazing. I've seen it happen several times. So the parasites infection, irritable bowel, actually lead to the leaky gut syndrome, which is a actual opening of the uh, tight junctions between the cells, okay? This is all made worse by antibiotics, okay? Anti-inflammatory drugs. And I guess they don't really like alcohol because they mentioned it a bunch of times here. Um, This can lead to liver overload, made worse by a lack of essential nutrients. You can't break things down anymore. Healthy, unadulterated food, vitamins. This is the side about talking about what you can do about it. What really happens is as follows. If we go to page five, and this is a nice colorful slide that, let me explain to you how a leaky gut occurs. One, told you about the mucus layer. The thing I didn't tell you about the mucus layer is that the biota, probiotics that we take, the biota, the microorganisms live in the mucus layer. They eat the mucus and uh, they perform their functions there. When the intrinsic barrier, the cells get damaged, okay, they release something called cytokines. Now, what are cytokines? Those are the biomarkers of the immune system. Okay, big deal, right? But let me tell you what cytokines really are. Think about it. Who's ever seen this movie, E.T.? The little girl put Reese's Pieces down for E.T. to follow her into the house. Think of cytokines as Reese's Pieces. Did you ever wonder why, how white blood cells know where to go when there's injury okay they don't have like eyes to say oh my god there's injury there they look for the cytokines they look for the rhesus pieces and when they see a bunch of them okay they go in and they go in in force well you know we always know that the white blood cells clean up the area but <clears throat> what we often think about is they come in and they're sweeping things up and you know they're like the merry maids or something and that's not true they go in like swat they go in there and they tear things apart and they you know, eat up the cells that aren't, uh, aren't alive anymore and they just take all the inflammation and pull it out. They also release something called elastase, which chews up the mucus. And what's left over is this nice clean area, but there are holes there. Now, it wouldn't be such a big deal... Uh, If it only happened in one or two places, but let's face it, when you have a lot of assault on your gut over the years, given the toxins, environmental and, you know, other types of toxins, given the antibiotics, given the use of anti-inflammatories that are injuring the gut and so on and so on and so on, okay, you can develop a pretty leaky gut just from the body trying to repair itself. So what happens when you have that leaky gut, well, the mucus isn't there to protect you. So the dietary proteins and peptides, which means the incomplete breakdown products of proteins and so forth, the body sometimes doesn't break proteins down to their constituent amino acids. It breaks them down into short chain proteins, which to the body are indistinguishable, excuse me, <clears throat> indistinguishable from antigens. So they come go down into the basement membrane there. the um, various uh, microorganisms, the xenobiotics and so forth, <clears throat> can do the same thing and go right into the body itself and those pyres patches now that 's when they come into play. What happens is a macrophage gets a hold of one of the bad boys and starts chewing on them and that macrophage becomes what's called an antigen-presenting cell. Think of him as a Matri d', and takes the product of his chewing and presents it to a naive T-cell. That T-cell isn't as naive as you think, okay? Because the T-cell gets to decide whether it's gonna create a natural killer cell, which is against cellular invaders, or it's gonna create antibodies. Uh, scientific tests will know that as Th1 and Th2 pathways. When it creates antibodies, which this takes a little while to do, okay, it'll fight off the antigens, but it also creates memory cells. Memory cells in the body sit there and wait. They're very antigen-specific. They will sit there and wait for a particular antigen to come by before it starts releasing antibodies. I always tell people it's like my cat sitting on the windowsill, waiting for one person and one person only to come by before he pounces, and it's usually me. Okay, and he go, wow! Okay, that, as soon as he sees me, but only one person will he pounce on. Okay, this is like the memory cells. The memory cells, as soon as they see the antigen that they were constructed for, will start releasing antibodies. And the more memory cells you have, the more antibodies get released. So And, of course, you have antibodies down, you have drugs and xenobiotics, you have infections, and all kinds of things can start creating these antibodies. And when you have a lot of antibodies, which are also known as immunoglobulins, okay, what do you have? You have inflammation. You have an upregulation of the immune system. And that is not necessarily a good thing. When you have increased upregulation of the immune system, after a while, you're gonna have what's called immune dysregulation, and then the body doesn't know who to attack. There's so much inflammation that the body doesn't know who to attack, and guess what? That's where a lot of the literature says that's where autoimmunity comes from. Let me give you an example of how this can affect, let's say, the neurological system. Okay, we've all heard the story of the kid who is hyperactive and mom takes him off gluten and he starts getting better. I think we've all heard that story and I, and, and I think it's a good one to utilize as as an example cuz what's really happening here what happens is the gluten gets into the basement membrane and creates antibodies. Why is gluten such a big deal these days? Well, the gluten that was around from the wheat before the GMO, the um, genetically modified, uh, had a certain amount of gluten, which is a protein portion. Okay, the genetically modified gluten has 400 times more of gluten itself. The wheat has 400 times more gluten than previous, what we're adapted to over millennia. Well, we're not used to that so it finds any way any little hole we have and starts creating a lot of memory cells this is what the basis of gluten allergies are it's not something special it's just because the wheat that we eat has so much gluten and it was simply not adapted to it but back to the story What happens is the gluten creates antibodies or immunoglobulins, not necessarily immunoglobulin E that creates histamine, but it could be immunoglobulin A, M, or any of the other guys, okay, and it upregulates the immune system. Now, from genetic predisposition, when that upregulation occurs, in that child, what was going on is that the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis gets stimulated. That is how you create your fight or flight. So you stimulate the HPA axis and the release is a lot of adrenaline. So then you have a kid who's hyperactive and he's going around going... <laughs> or he's just running in place and... <clears throat> excuse me. And that's where the, uh, the food allergies... That's where the reaction comes from. So you take away the gluten. And very quickly, the child starts feeling better. And you, know, you feel like you've done a good job and you have. But if you don't fix the leaky gut, let's say you put him on soy. Within six months, he will have built up enough memory cells for the soy to start creating the same reaction. And for those people who have been around for a little while, especially if you have uh, any children with food allergies or you've been in this area for a bit, you realize that we first always took people off gluten and casein, which is, you know, wheat, and, um, and dairy. Now the three big ones are gluten, dairy, and soy. I wonder why. Because we started putting people on a lot of soy, giving people a lot of soy, giving them an opportunity to develop enough immunoglobulins to become quote-unquote allergic or, oh, God forbid I say the word allergic, hypersensitive. I know my, um, my allergist friends will come after me with a stick. Uh, You know, it's too bad that I can't interact with everybody because uh, I don't hear anybody laughing at my jokes, but that's okay. So this uh, page 5 tells you the process of autoimmunity. So when you upregulate the immune system through a leaky gut, if you have a genetic predisposition to some type of autoimmune disease, it may express itself. Not everybody who has the genetic predisposition to rheumatoid arthritis, Sjogren's disease, or any of the other autoimmune diseases expresses autoimmunity. This is one way to get it to express. Always remember, people, that genetics loads the gun, but environment pulls the trigger. On page six, you have the actual immune connection. You see that the body will create different types of antibodies Based on immunoglob, I'm sorry, based on cytokine um, influence. I got this from the Neuroscience Corporation. It was just a way of showing that various immunoglobulins can stimulate the body to create antibodies in a certain direction. Okay. There's another interesting thing on page 7 that I wanted to point out about leaky gut syndrome. I came across an article in, uh, that came from the week of July 19 through 23 uh, in the Proceedings of natural, uh, the National Academy of Sciences. Anybody of a sufficient age remembers the 1980s when they were screaming, don't feed the yeast, don't feed the yeast, don't feed the yeast, because yeast was being blamed on everything to include things like multiple sclerosis. And this particular study, which I've, which I've quoted here, okay, showed how a dysbiotic gut can create multiple sclerosis in somebody who is predisposed to it. Uh, It was just a scientific article. It was, I think, somebody's, um, uh, you know, experimentation, and they said that they showed that in the absence of bacteria in the intestines, the pro-inflammatory Th17 cells don't develop, either in the gut or in the central nervous system, and the animals didn't develop disease. But when the animals were colonized with symbiotic filamentous bacteria, in other words, the bad guys, okay. The TH17 cell differentiation was induced in the gut, and it it promoted experimental autoimmune encephalomyelitis, which is multiple sclerosis. And I thought that was very interesting because what we learned in the 80s, that if you allowed a lot of yeast in the gut, that in fact, you would start getting sick. Okay, but I think they were a little bit too militant about it, so it kind of fell out the, um, the sides, and uh, people started not paying attention to it. But the fact is that overgrowth of yeast will, in fact, create a lot of toxins, to include acetaldehyde and excitatory neurotransmitters, and as, and depending on your biochemical pathways or your bio, I'm sorry, your uh, genetic pathways, you will create disease based on overgrowth of yeast. And before anybody asks, let me tell you how an overgrowth of yeast occurs. First off, you start taking antibiotics. Yeast is in the environment. You cannot prevent yourself from getting it. Candida albicans is normal in the environment. But if you would look at the room you're sitting in okay, and picture it being the inside of the colon, there are so many different microorganisms, lactobacillus acidophilus, Bacidobacterium revi, and da. blah, blah, blah. Okay, you know all the fancy names. And Candida albicans. But the sheer number of the other organisms keeps the number of the yeast down. They just don't have enough room. They don't have enough real estate to grow. Now, yeast is an encapsulated organism. And being encapsulated... It can go dormant for a really long time. In fact, they've taken yeast out of the intestines of mummies, put them in a nutrient broth, and they grew. That's how long they can last. So what happens is you take an antibiotic, and it wipes out not only the organism you're looking for, but everybody else. Okay, so now a lot of real estate's opened up. So the encapsulated yeast looks around and says, ha, ha, ha. Let me start growing, and they start growing, you know. And if you don't immediately repopulate, okay, you repopulate slowly. Okay, the east can take up more real estate. Well, that's not so bad if it happens once, but happening again and happening again, and the east gets more and more and more real estate, and their numbers grow. And once they get to a certain point, and the toxins get to a certain point, they induce even a worse leaky gut, which induces worse upregulation of the immune system, releasing tons of toxins which block up the liver, okay, and then stimulate the excitatory nervous system, and then you have anxiety disorders and all kinds of things. On page 8, you see kind of another graphic of how leaky gut syndrome occurs with food intolerances, disruption of the gut lining, and you can get multiple food intolerances, improper absorption, okay, lots of inflammation. So leaky gut, believe it or not, is one of the main pathologies that needs to be treated in almost everybody, okay, especially people with any kind of chronic illness, because plain old physical stress will cause leaky gut. And let's face it, if you've been through what I like to call the medical mill, where you've been tried on numerous different medications, numerous different antibiotics, and after a little while it just gets very confusing. And that's why we start working with the gut because the reality is what we're fighting is inflammation. <clears throat> also, you have to realize that leaky gut has caused a rise in different health issues including cardiovascular issues via the inflammation, stomach issues for obvious reasons, diabetes from our poor diets, metabolic disorders, and let's face it, adrenal fatigue. When you start upregulating the system and you start putting your foot down on the gas and you start that person constantly stimulating that adrenaline coming out, eventually, you know, that anxiety disorder ends up being depression and exhaustion. But the number one target for leaky gut, Sorry, tonight I'm really uh, kind of uh, <clears throat> got a lot of flim. Okay, the number one target for leaky gut is in the central nervous system. Okay, and leaky gut in and of itself can be a reason for depression, anxiety, migraines. Okay, supporting addictions, behavioral issues due to neurotransmitter imbalances, PMS and, me- and menopausal disorders, AD and a- ADD and ADHD these things are all neurotransmitter nor hormonal imbalances that can be created and supported by the leaky gut syndrome. Now, for those of you who are real scientific, okay, I have a, I have a um, graphic here from Nature Reviews Gastroenter- Gastroenterology and Hepatology, okay, which shows you the progress of leaky gut syndrome. Okay, and if you'd like to do the whole article, uh, it's it's uh, quoted there. But you can see that it doesn't happen all at once. You have normal permeability, then minor de- minor defects, which will create the food allergy problem. Okay, and that starts a vicious cycle because that creates even more leaky gut by activating what they're talking about: activation, apoptosis, and cytokines. It's all destructive to the cell wall. And then after a while, there's a massive influx of antigens and uh, there's a tolerance break and the body just gets gets feeling really bad. Excuse me again. And the fact is that if leaky gut continues, you walk around feeling bad. And and my last graphic there, you say, you don't wanna walk around like the Incredible Hulk, okay? Because he's really angry and he really doesn't feel good. And this is what ends up happening over time when you have leaky gut syndrome. Okay, So I think it's important, I think i hopefully express the importance of the need to repair the gut. And what I'm going to do right now, um, I hope some people have some questions somewhere because uh, I don't think I have 30 more minutes of talk time. I have 30 minutes of talk time, but I don't think I have 30 minutes of what I can say. (laughs) Anyway, uh, when you talk about repairing the gastrointestinal tract, okay, i'm gonna let you know right now that there are numerous theories out there' there's numerous methodologies, and I'm gonna give you the basics because oh my gosh, everybody you know opinions are like elbows, everybody's got two okay and in this and in this um arena, everybody's got numerous ones. but one of the things that I do on a regular basis is reviewing uh people people's care they have had for a long time, and um, what I've noticed almost ubiquitously is that the attention to the gut has been minimal at best, and if you're going to heal and you have a leaky gut, you're not going to heal, okay? You may feel better for a little while, but it'll keep on coming back, and one of the main reasons for that is that the gut has never been properly healed, and I'll go through what somebody's done, and I'll find out they haven't done this, they haven't done that. And you wonder why. Uh, there are lots of different combined products out there. Okay? I'm not going to go through every single one of them. I'm going to give you the general ways that a gut should be healed. Okay? Uh, first off, number one, if you know, you really should start removing the foods that inflame the gut. If you are hypersensitive to gluten, dairy, soy, every time you eat it, it inflames your gut. So if you know what your food allergies are, you should be avoiding them, okay, at least temporarily. And if you don't, it's a good bet to take gluten, dairy, and soy out of the diet. Okay, that won't hurt anybody. There's certainly lots of alternatives. Okay, and lots of times one of those three is what's giving irritation to the gut. So, you know, there are food allergy tests out there. They range from the IgE tests, which test the reaction of foods to create histamine, and then we have the IgG tests and IgM tests, IgA, that uh, test different immunoglobulins. I tend to use the IgG, and the reason for that is because uh, when I see an upregulation, I know it's been there for at least six months. So, I also can see it in classes, the dairy class, the proteins, the vegetables, and then I can look for cross reactivities. For instance, if the baker's and brewer's yeast is very hyperreactive, then I know that that person has uh, a gut yeast problem. Okay? So let's get into the, bit, to the repair itself. The first thing you might think about, we have to repair the extrinsic barrier, and the extrinsic barrier is the mucus layer. Okay? And, of course, remembering that the mucus layer's uh, purpose is to trap bacteria, toxins, yeast, dietary peptides, and allow the secretory IgA to bind them and wash them out. And we need a place for the biota to live. A lot of times if you have a leaky gut and you're taking probiotics, uh, the probiotics can actually become an allergen because they're going right through the leaky gut. And uh, people don't be fooled by the fact that some of the probiotics say FOS on them which does not mean full of you know what it means fructooligosaccharides okay which is a prebiotic there's not enough prebiotic in those uh, in what you're taking to provide enough mucus for those biota to live you have to really aggressively treat it now the way you do that is by utilizing uh, partially soluble fibers, and there's a lot of different partially so- soluble fibers out there. Uh, ground flax seed, ground shea seed, guire gum, marshmallow root. I know, who, know, who knew that marshmallows had roots? Uh, slippery elm, organic prickly pear. There's lots of them out there. Uh, we have to be a little bit careful because some of them are estrogenic, okay, like the flaxseed ground chia and guire gum tend to be on the estrogenic side and if you have estrogen dominance or have uh, hormone issues this might in fact uh, make things worse. But things like marshmallow roots, slippery elm, and the like, uh, most people aren't allergic to them. Most people haven't had them in their body to be allergic to them and we need a fair amount of them to help create the mucus layer. Okay, then we have to give consideration to the tight junctions or repairing the cells. Let me let you in on a little secret. If the cells of the gut are leaking, then the cells of the brain are leaking and the cells of the mitochondria are leaking. If there's been damage, long-term damage to the enterocytes in the gut, you can guarantee that you have a leaky blood-brain barrier and you've got leaky mitochondria, which has contributed to how bad people feel. Obviously, if the blood-brain barrier is not working, you can get toxins in the brain or inflammation in there that can be pretty nasty, okay? And if your mitochondria are leaking, you cannot produce your energy. Remember, the mitochondria are the powerhouse of the cell. So, in order to repair cells, there's a few things that you need. One is phospholipids. The cell wall, no matter where you are, is a phospholipid bilayer. Okay, and phospholipids are special kinds of fats. And you've seen uh, the words phosphatidylcholine, phosphatidylethanolamine, phosphatidylinositol, and I still can't pronounce phosphatidyl, okay, so I kind of make a joke out of it. Those are phospholipids got to be a little careful with them because it depends on your neurotransmitter balance, but those things are necessary. Those phospholipids are necessary to help the cell wall heal. Two, believe it or not, you need animal fats. I know that's a dirty word to say for a lot of people, but animal fats are how we've been healing our our cell walls since time immemorial, and it's good that people use um, MCT oil is good that people use uh, you know, coconut oil, and it gets very close to being animal fat, but it's not. So a small amount — and I'm not going to give everybody dosages out because I'm going to be treating people of organic fats,, okay, like organic ghee, uh, rendered duck fat, uh, lard,, okay, put into the diet, will actually help the cells to heal. Now, even more incongruous, there's something else that you need to heal the cells, and that would be arachidonic acid. Arachidonic acid has been demonized because of its ability to create inflammation. Uh, it is the predominant amino acid in things like beef, beef fat, um, most of the proteins, and... When you say that, when you eat a lot of protein, you get a lot of, um, get a lot of inflammation. The reason is is because the arachidonic acid can go through uh, the PGE2 prostaglandin pathway and create inflammation. A short ditty on prostaglandins, is three of them. They have names as long as the, the city of Cincinnati. Okay, so we call them PGE1, 2, and 3. peg one and 3 are anti-inflammatory and PGE2 are inflammatory. <clears throat> Things like Advil and the um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs are anti-prostaglandins. They block prostaglandin, too. You've heard that you take fish oils, and that brings down inflammation. That's because the fish oils preferentially go into the PGE3 pathway, and it doesn't require a lot of enzymes to get there. So large amounts of fish oils can, in fact, be anti-inflammatory because it creates anti-inflammatory byproducts. That's enough on the the, um, prostaglandins. But we need a small amount of arachidonic acid for our cells. And uh, roughly two or three ounces a day for most people is a minimum to get your essential amino acids to include the arachidonic acid. So if you're a vegan or a vegetarian, we have to figure a way of getting arachidonic acid into you. And because it's been demonized, believe it or not, you can't find it in most protein powders. There are some specialized ones, okay, but they've taken arachidonic acid out because it's got such a bad rep, which, um, what can I say? Then, after you start healing the gut, that's when the probiotics come in. They don't come in at first, Okay, they come in towards the end after you develop the mucus layer. That plus digestive enzymes so you can digest your foods are sometimes necessary. It takes a while to fix a gut. It takes a fairly long while. Other supportive things are like vitamin C, large amounts of vitamin C, specifically the liposomal vitamin C, or if you listened to last week's um, show with uh, Michael Ann McAllister, getting it intravenously. And when you get it intravenously, you can get 50,000 milligrams, 75,000 milligrams, 100,000 milligrams. And believe it or not, that is sometimes what's necessary to heal a really compromised gut. People, you better start asking questions, <laughs> typing them in or something, <laughs> or calling. If you want to call in, it's 646-595-2277 because I'm just about out of information. And I don't want to end this, this show early because I know there's people out there with questions. So I know dead air time, I'm not supposed to do it. Okay, probiotics, everybody says, what kind should you use? Well, the probiotics will balance the Th1 and Th2 immune system. Uh, If you're having to choose, okay, I would choose a generalized uh, probiotic. Again, I can't mention um, particular products, but make sure it has Saccharomyces boulardii in it. S. boulardii is a probiotic yeast, And the probiotic yeast, uh, in this particular case, does not take root. Um, And, believe it or not, in experimentation, you can see that the Saccharomyces boulardii actually pulls the candida off the walls and carries it out. So that's one way, believe it or not, of treating candida without, you know, using antifungals to begin with, and... um, you know, you'll start decreasing the number of them and start reclaiming the real estate, okay? So that's a very gentle way of going after the yeast, by the way, okay, before you start attacking it with either pharmaceuticals and nutraceuticals, okay, and the reason being is that if you start attacking the yeast before the gut is ready, what's going to happen is all the toxins from that yeast will come out, Go right through the right through the gaps, go right into the liver and make you really really ill. Okay, so guess what? It's really important that you work on this gut. And and I got to tell you, almost everybody's got a leaky gut. Anybody with any kind of illness, any kind of um, especially a chronic illness, has had enough stress and enough attack on their gut that you can almost presume that one has a leaky gut. Are there tests for it? Yes. Are they accurate? Mm. Okay, it depends on how much leaky gut, how much you do it, how, what type of test you're using, and so forth. Uh, the um, the pharmacist on lambs used to have a really great test where they took your food allergies and they came up with a score of whether you had leaky gut or not, and that's a test that test doesn't exist any longer. Ooh, I see somebody on here that is a caller. Ah, a question.
0: hold on. Hi, Dr. Jeff. I'm really really enjoying this show, and I think I probably need to remove my headphones since there's a little bit of feedback. Um, I'm wondering, can I go back to the autoimmune disorders? I know that I have a tissue type for RA, but I've never had um, any type of RA issues until after taking an antibiotic. Could you address that or tell me how... W- what that means? Well,
1: yeah, well. Which kind of antibiotic was it? Number one.
0: Um, I took. I was. Di- I was taking. Um, I took two rounds of cipro and two rounds of um, levoquin.
1: Okay. Um, first off, the fluoroquinolones, which are the levoquin and the cipro, have their own toxicity problems. Okay, and actually, you're you're a perfect example of what I was talking about. The fluoroquinolones can, in fact, induce any kind of genetic um, predisposition, because if you look at what the fluoroquinolones can do—crashing different biochemical pathways, you know, um, slowing down the ATP production—and um, and again, just generally making things worse—it uh, can put enough stress on the body to let that let that particular genetic predisposition express itself. Uh, if we were just talking leaky gut where somebody had regular antibiotics where they started uh, getting more and more and more immune upregulation leading to dysregulation, it heightens the probability that that particular um genetic uh construct will express itself so uh it, it's not a it's not a c- it's not a unusual or a secret to me why the RA started expressing itself. Uh, how are you being treated with that? Well, initially
0: I was treated with methotrexate and um, sulfitamides, and um, mm-hmm. that, really, that really did nothing to help with my symptoms. Um, I then started just increasing my um, doses of mag- magnesium, and that uh. helped more than anything. And now I am on um, just, you know, strong uh, mineral and vitamins and supplements, and I think it's just really taken time. But um, I still do have flares, especially when I ingest particular foods, such as meats that have been treated with hormones and antibiotics and so forth. It just seems to make the flares come much more
1: frequently. It makes a lot of sense. It really does. Um, if if there were anything that I would suggest that might give you a, a boost in in your healing process is to consider a very um, stringent, aggressive uh, gut repair program, however you decide to go about it with your health care okay. provider.
0: Sure. And uh, I
1: think that it would do a world of good because you're seeing – where your gut has healed only tenuously, and it doesn't take too much to knock it, uh, knock it out of place, if you will, knock it or right. uh, knock it. Um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm babbling as usual. Uh, and um, if you if you really look and repair it, and, and look to repair it, it may take
0: that you know heavy
1: dose IV um, vitamin C. However you go about it, that is the best way, in my estimation, of giving you the opportunity to decrease your inflammation that will also clear out a lot of the biochemical pathways because they're not working because of chronic inflammation you constantly if you bring that down you'll give them an opportunity to heal and you might find a, a you know gross increase or improvement in your condition that may just continue it may be just as simple as that okay especially it has the, the virtue of not having been tried before but honestly that is one of the ways one of the things I tend to see on a consistent basis that um that hasn't been tried. They don't do the simple thing like, Let's really go after this gut and really try and heal it and that brings down the amount of inflammation that allows other things to heal. You can also think of inflammation in your body's energy. Okay, that it takes a lot of energy for your body to consistently fight this infam- inflammation. If you started taking it down, that healing energy, if you would, not to be too esoteric, would have would be able to contribute to other areas of healing. Okay, When you get down to the biochemical or the, or the genetic level, that's where you start talking about the genes being turned on and off, which that's not a, a phraseology I use, uh, but the pathways being de-stressed and allowing to work again, because I think of the pathways as highways. And uh, if you know, you have a, a, you know, a four-lane highway and you put 12 lanes of traffic in, it's gonna slow down, it's gonna be dysfunctional. But if you take away the traffic and you put in the appropriate amount of traffic taking away this, the stress, guess what? That pathway will start working again. And it doesn't take a lot of um, nutrigenomics or any kind of fancy stuff to make that happen. So that, that's my that's great really trajectory. interesting.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You're May I' most ask you welcome. one more question.
1: Please. You know if,
0: if someone in a, in a community was looking for someone who provided the um, high dose vitamin C infusions, what should we look under? who How do we look up this person?
1: particular the, is
0: there a particular um, this, thing that we put into Google to find this person? Yeah,
1: you look for, you look, go to ACAM, A-C-A-M, the American College for the Advancement of Medicine. Okay. Okay. The American College for the Advancement of Medicine. Okay. And they have a physician finder. Those are the people who are trained to do it. Uh, They have a physician finder that you can do by zip code and find the people who are within a reasonable distance of you. Okay. And uh, then that'll usually knock it down to four or five practitioners. That you can individually call them and ask what it, is, what is it that they actually do, and what they are, um, what you know, what they can offer you. There's some of them that have been trained in chelation. And some, some people have certain types of practices, but usually in the United States you aren't too far from somebody who is at least capable of um, doing this. Uh, if you're anywhere near the East Coast, and you wanted to talk to Michael, uh, Mike Land you could just look at our blog from last week and you'd be able okay. to get in touch with her. But that's what she has recommended uh, that people, even in Australia who are looking for this, how they should go about finding a um, practitioner. Excellent.
0: Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Welcome. I'm a big fan. Take care. I really appreciate your Oh, shows. Thank you
1: so much. And Take care. Uh, have Bye-bye. Have a good night. Bye-bye.
0: You too.
1: Hi. Caller from the 217 area code.
2: Hi, Hello, um, Yes, can you hear me?:
1: Ah uh, yeah, could you talk just a bit louder?
2: Okay, can you hear me now? Yes, I can.: Okay. Um, I had two quick questions for you. Um, the first one is you were talking about probiotics, and mm-hmm. I, was, I was wondering um, if you could give any kind of insight into a particular brand, or like a soil-based organism.
1: Um, unfortunately, um, in, in this particular stat, I can't mention brands because then somebody gets mad at me, and then I get accused of actually treating people. But the principles—I uh, happen to be a fan of the soil-based organisms. Okay, I think okay. that they're more powerful. I think they're, um, and uh, as long as you, if if you had to make a choice, um, they're a, a nice general probiotic that does in fact have the Saccharomyces boulardii in it is is a really good choice okay some people argue that the liquid probiotics that are kept in the refrigerator are better uh, that has validity but I think the thing that you should not do is what I've seen other people do is take a single probiotic like somebody will be taking lactobacillus acidophilus and that's it okay the various probiotics have not only um, not only you know uh, do metabolism and create vitamins, they do a lot with the immune system and uh when uh when the uh, neuroscience Corporation had their their big process of how they treated uh leaky gut, they actually had two different sets of probiotics, one that you would take first that had Saccharomyces bilardi in it and and certain lactobacilli and bifidobacteria. bacteria. And the research that they put out said that uh, that helped quell the Th1 response, which is the uh, natural killer cells. And after a month of that, they, they brought in the other antibiotics that balanced the Th1 and Th2 pathways. Okay? And it was amazing that they, could find, that they could do research and find research that equated uh, the various probiotics to the immune system and how the immune system was balanced. Uh, that was one thing that I, okay. I thought was pretty amazing, but if you have to make a choice of uh, what kind of antibiotics, to, uh, probiotics to use, a good general one, the soil-based one, like I said, I'm real, I'm a good fan of, uh, and uh, you know, and as long as it has uh, Saccharomyces boulardii in it, and you're seeing a, you know, a, you know, a lot of the lactobacilli and the you know bifidobacteria and so forth, you can, um, it could be pretty safe that you're at least you know uh, repopulating the gut and that 's the real issue also what i will what I will let loose is that if you go onto an antibiotic, anybody really who 's listening uh, it is not a bad idea to take a prodigious amount of probiotics while you 're taking the antibiotic, even though most of them will be wiped out, okay, but a lot of them will take root and prevent yeast from forming, okay, taking up the uh, real estate, like I said and take the probiotics at maybe double and triple the rate suggested on the bottle for at least two or three weeks after the antibiotic is finished. Okay, this is the best way bar none to prevent um, whatever dysbiosis would have occurred from the antibiotics from forming in the gut. It's a, you know, uh, you have to do it at first. It prevents a lot of fixing later on. Okay. Did I answer your question? Um,
2: yes, it does. Thank you. And I did have one more, if that's okay. Please. Um, in, in my particular situation, you were talking about the steps to heal the gut and how um, certain things like the fats and, and um, lipids and everything, how that's more beneficial to start there for healing the gut. Is that correct?
1: I'm sorry. Could you repeat the question again?
2: Um, You were talking about the certain things that would be good to take to heal the gut. There are certain things like the fats and the lipids and and everything, Mm -hmm. um, how that's a good starting out point. What do you do for somebody who has trouble even um, ingesting those things because their gut and everything is in such bad shape that... They get severe acid reflux or, or problems with even trying to process those things or even someone who has such bad leaky gut that they seem to react to everything, to foods and supplements.
1: You know, I'm really, really happy, and, uh, and I appreciate you asking that particular question because I am very, very sure there are numerous people out there with that on their minds. And um, that is, that's, a, that's a conundrum. But let me let me let you know that that's one of the reasons that I brought, I asked Marianne McAllister to talk last week uh, because there is a point where you can't get it in by mouth, where you can't get enough of anything in by mouth, and you need to use the intravenous therapy, um, especially the high dose vitamin C to start the process of healing the gut. Uh, because you just can't get anything in that will, you know, reasonably get absorbed. Because usually with what you're talking about, there's hellish malabsorption, so you're not mm-hmm. absorbing anything. So how do you get, you know, these nutrients in that can possibly heal the gut? Uh, you we can, you know, gently use uh, one thing at a time, uh, but you know, like let's say using the fibers trying I'll have people try different fibers and find which one doesn't which set of fibers don't bother their stomach. Okay, and then they can rotate it like they'll take one thing one day, one thing the next and so forth. And they do it in, in increasingly high doses and sometimes that's been um successful. Sometimes you combine that with um vegetable digestive enzymes or animal based digestive enzymes. You know, again, it's very, very individualized. What I practice is individual medicine, okay? So uh, you don't get a protocol from me. You'll you'll hear me. I'll tell you as I'm talking and I'm I'm typing, you know, what I want you to do specifically, okay, because there are no protocols. You have to do them individually. But someone whose gut is very, very, very compromised, um, you can try various things. You can try various oils. And see what is soothing for the person. You can combine them with, like deglycerinized licorice, and there's a there's a bunch of other, um, you know, herbs and stuff that you can use to help calm the stomach. But if you've got real bad leaky gut to the point that the person's really ill, they're losing weight, they're uh, unable to absorb things, they just can't. And I've I've recently had two cases like this, and. Um, you know, the only way to get at that would be intravenously. And, you know, if you use uh, total parental nutrition, TPN, uh, as a as a food source, that's mostly glucose. That's not really helping yeah. much, okay? With the intravenous therapy, you can go after treating the gut and introduce amino acids that the body needs, okay? And then you'll finally get that gut to the point where oral uh, supplementation or, or oral, you know, things you can do will you know finally you know uh, take root, and then the person can start healing, but sometimes they have to be brought to a point where that can happen plus remember you have to make sure that they don't have things like you know h pylori and you know uh, parasites and other things that are preventing the gut from healing okay it's a it 's a multi pronged problem, and I feel for you for um for the person who has this, but um, I've got to tell you that um, one of the things that would really help is the intravenous therapy and to make sure that your healthcare practitioner is in fact, um, has in fact checked to make sure these other um, dysbioses are not occurring. Okay, you know, there's lots of them, SIBO, you know, small intestine, bacterial overgrowth, and like I said, the parasites, yeast, um, or a combination of things. And they keep it going. And especially if you have H. pylori, uh, sometimes, you know, you've really got to use the intravenous therapy because you just can't get at all that stuff at once. It's tough.
2: Okay. And actually, it's interesting that you brought up the the SIBO because that was part of why I was interested in the soil-based organisms for the probiotics. Mm -hmm. I heard maybe that was better for that.
1: It, it usually is, and, it, uh, okay. and that's why I like, I like the soil-based organisms because they're good for most things from what I understand. And I use them myself, quite frankly. And um, I've got to be honest that uh, when somebody's that bad, okay, uh, you, really should, you really, you know, got to work in concert with a good health care practitioner that knows this stuff, and uh, aggressiveness is indicated here. Okay, otherwise um, the person just gets sicker and sicker and sicker. Okay. And okay.
2: This might be kind of a silly question if you have time for it, but, um, <laughs> but when, when certain people are having a problem reacting to many different foods, um, is there any truth behind that if you keep eating foods that you're reacting to that it's damaging your gut, or do you just kind of have to deal with it if you are reacting to almost every food?
1: If you're reacting to most every food, then there is damage going on. If you have pain, there's damage okay and if you're reacting to everything it means as you know that you have a very compromised gut and um sometimes you have to get down to that's where people go into a mono diet or uh, you know they they uh and they'll do you know just take one kind of food that doesn't react and but the fact is that oh they're trying to tell us we have 90 seconds left okay great okay. Um, so what they're doing what is happening is that you have to find a way of healing the gut. Uh sometimes you going to you have to use different um protein powders and there's different mixtures out there made by different companies like Orthomolecular and so forth that um are made for this kind of situation where the person can get uh nutrition and uh vitamins in a uh, a very very non-reactive um formula but that doesn 't fix the gut by itself it 's going to be a two pronged approach intravenous and what else you can put in you know it 's not easy, but um, you know it's it is doable it is doable and it's worth it's worth the effort
2: okay, thank you very much
1: you're most welcome. Have a good night
2: you too.
1: okay, I think we've got about thirty seconds uh, left. people. I want to thank you very, very much for listening. I appreciate um, I appreciate all your support. Uh, if you have further questions, you can uh, go to my website, uh, drjessarmind.com, or jess at jess at drjessarmine.com is my uh, email address, and I will be happy to answer whatever questions at length. And since we only have 10 seconds, really fast, give me your ideas for more shows. Okay, thanks so much. You guys have a good night. Take care.
0: Have a good night, everyone.